The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today is Friday, so you know what that means. It's time for the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. I hope everything's well for you and all the listeners there. I uh, got to tell you, I had to go to the doctor for my uh, depression caused by my obsession with crossword puzzles. He uh, he told me not to get too down. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Classic Duff, clever, good one. Uh, if you haven't heard Duff's new single, speaking of good one, Chip Away, you got to check it out. He reached, uh, released it a couple days ago. It's on his new solo album, Tenderness, which comes out on May 30th. Go check that out. Duff is a great songwriter in his own right and uh, obviously a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer with Guns N' Roses. All right, today it's the return of the classic album clash, Iron Maiden, Number the Beast versus Power Slave. And I've assembled a uh, expert panel to debate the merits of each album and its respective songs. I got Metal Blade Records founder, Brian Slagle, huge Maiden fan, just like me returning for this one. Lizzie Borden, another Talk is Jericho alumni, another big Maiden fan is with us. And so is Solo Cup Jeff. Yeah, he's with us. Uh, I think he actually stays awake this time i can't remember we're going through the album track by track and uh, sharing our own maiden experiences from the first time seeing the band live to the first maiden album we each bought and of course the uh, the debate of song by song which album do we think is better they also hear a little history and trivia about the new wave of british heavy metal the scene that spawned iron maiden def leppard saxon in the late 70s so let's get a rock on okay here we go classic album clash iron maiden starts now on talk to jericho <laughs> All right, so we're here at the uh, amazing Cosmo Hotel. By the way, I was supposed to plug that. Um, I forgot my other two podcasts, but I'll plug it here. The Cosmopolitan right here on the Strip in Las Vegas. It's the best hotel uh, that you could ever stay at, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're here to do uh, another classic album, Clash. And we are doing today uh, Iron Maiden, Power Slave and Number of the Beast. And we have uh, Lizzie Borden, who hello, hello, hello. is an expert uh, in heavy metal. <laughs> You've released many albums. You know the whole story. Uh, uh, Solo Cup Jeff is here. He's awake. Well, hello there. Yeah, and we, you have to say more than seven words. This You have to actually participate. <laughs> I'm working for eight. Last time he passed out during the uh, podcast, but he, we're just starting to drink. And then uh, the grandfather 
the great grandfather, the oldest fuck guy. No, uh, Brian Slagle <laughs> rode in on my wheelchair just for you. <laughs> Slagle is here, and I think probably out of the two, uh, the four of us, you and I are like the maiden fanatics. Yes, I would say so. I, was, um, I forget the four of us, like out of the millions of people around the world, maybe yeah, right. probably we were the top on top. So, one percent, um, maybe. What was Not your first uh, exposure to Maiden, and why are they so big to you? So uh, I was a, a tape trader back in the day. And uh, a friend of mine sent me an ACDC tape from Sweden. And at the very end of it, he said, hey, there's this new band called Iron Maiden that put out this single called the Soundhouse Tapes. I think you might like it. So I listened to the ACDC concert, which was great, uh, with Brian Johnson. Oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. That was Bon Scott. Scott. Yeah. Even better. Soundhouse Tapes. Uh, So anyway, I listened to Soundhouse Tapes. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? And that was the first time I heard about the new wave of British heavy metal. Became obsessed with it, became obsessed with Iron Maiden, and then since then they've gone on to become and still are my favorite band of all time. And um, how many times, what's the first time you saw them? First time I saw them was, I had to fight Houston actually, because in 1981 they were not going to play in LA, so they're opening for Judas Priest, so I flew to Houston and saw them, and that's still the only time I've ever talked to Steve Harris. I actually interviewed him for my fanzine then, uh, which was amazing, and had him sign my copy of the Soundhouse Tapes. That's cool. Uh, so that's the first time I've ever, I, I'm I've ever seen I'm so scared to them. talk to Steve. I know like all those guys, but I'm still intimidated by Steve Harris. Same here. Reason. I've seen him in a million, a million times. I have some funny stories about that, which I think we talked about, but they're too long to say here. But same thing, I've seen him. I want to go talk to him, but it's like, it's Steve Harris. I, I, I can't well, get he, to that. He's kind of a shy guy, too, so he doesn't really, he's not going to go out of his way. Like, Nico is easy to talk to, yeah. or Bruce, but... Steve's a little bit quiet. All those guys are like, I had a great time with Dave Murray when they played New York about a year or so ago because I know the management. Obviously, we all know the management yeah. really well. Dave and I just started talking about blues and guitar players. Like, you coming to Chicago? I said, yeah, oh, let's go watch some blues afterwards. I'm like, it never happened. But it was, He's smiling the whole was, time. Yeah, it was still nice <laughs> for the the invite. Yeah. Liz, what was the first time you ever heard of this band, Iron Maiden? Uh, I think I told you this last night. We were, I was in a band early on in... Um, Dio and uh, Iomi were in this studio, in the same studio that we were in rehearsing. Really, it's Harlequin Studios in San Fernando Valley. What band was that? It was a band with Joe Holmes, actually. Okay, and Joey Scott and and me and a couple other guys, and uh, we went through so many names it was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, but we were rehearsing. They were in the main room working on their on the the live album that they did, and somebody from their camps came in heard us rehearsing and said you guys sound like iron maiden mm. and i just said who's iron maiden i never heard of them and this wow. was uh, and bruce hadn't joined the band yet i think so what live album would that have been Li- it would have been the, the live evil the live evil one yeah, yeah. oh so was, i thought you were talking about maiden gotcha oh so so live no, evil. The, okay. Sa- yeah Sa- sabbath yeah, yeah. were there doing live evil which is 81 i think was 82? it right 82 which yeah. by the way you know what live evil is backwards live, live evil, evil. <laughs> which is just really <laughs> And then I went out and checked, you know, bought their, they, I think they only had two records out at that time and bought those records and went, wow, I don't think we sound anything like Iron Maiden, but I like them, you know, the dual guitar. And that's what we'd had. And that's Lizzie Borden. One of the staples of your band is the dual guitar, which yeah. is a very Maiden-esque yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was, but it was, for me, it was, you know, Judas Priest. I was so familiar with Priest at the time Yeah, that Maiden came out of nowhere for me. And then uh, I, I went to... Um, Anaheim Stadium, and this is when they were on tour with the Scorpions, and I think it was for Number of the Beast. Yep. And they sold me. And they had Bruce now, and it was like, oh my God, this is a new thing here. With, with the Scorpions and 
you know, Iron Maiden, and there was eight, there were 70s bands like Loverboy or a few other bands on the bill, and they were just, it was just like obvious. But that's how it was back in those days that you'd, you'd go to, like, I think one time Maiden toured with like 38 Special. Yeah. Like they opened for them on a, on a run. Like you would just rock bands were rock bands, yeah. right? It was a, a mixture of different things all the time, and there was no rhyme or reason. And when Scorpions and Maiden played back to back, it kind of just said, these are the new kids in town. This is the new style. Get on board and get out of the way. All the other bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was on that train. I was like, let's yeah, go. Let's do it. <laughs> How about you, Solo Cup, Jeff? Well, the first one would be Peace of Mind. But uh, I saw the picture disc. You know, when they had the picture albums back then? Yeah. yeah. I was like. I remember that. It was yeah. The cover was was the straight jacket, but the back of it was with them sitting at the dinner table mm-hmm. about to eat the brain. The Each, each of them to take a piece of mind. Yep. <laughs> and back then, it was really awesome when you could find one of those like cool picture albums. Yeah. You could play it, and it was an actual album. Really what a cool lost picture. thing, the picture disc. We still make them every once in a while, but there's just nobody that makes them. It, it takes forever because it, you know, it's hard to get vinyl made anyway these days. Mm. There's a huge backlog, and now there's like I think there's one plant that makes picture discs. So every once in a while, you can sneak one in but the wait time is is forever but yeah those things are awesome i remember the first time for me was um i was a big beatles fan when i was a kid and when i say that like i knew everything about the beatles like i just got obsessed with them in about 1980 so i was 10 at the time as weird as it seems if you like the beatles it wasn't cool because the Beatles weren't cool like in the in the early 80s. You know, neither was like the Black Sabbath or like the bands that were yeah. kind of on their down swing. So when I went from elementary school to junior high school, I noticed very quickly that all the chicks were wearing rock shirts, like metal shirts. Like remember those three quarter inch like they used to call them baseball yeah. jerseys, yeah. baseball tees. And it was Priest and Ozzy and Dio. And the one girl that I liked, her name was Marcy Wood had a number of the beast one on. This is like, you know, in my mind's eye, she was like the hottest chick that in school. That girl's got to be cool. Yeah. That's what that's just was. <laughs> super tight jeans uh, and, a, and a maiden baseball jersey with number of the beast on it. And I remember looking at the album cover going like, this is scary shit, you know? And I remember too, I went to a Ukrainian summer camp with, with Chad and Todd, my cousins. And they were someone played Number of the Beast. And Ukrainian, not in the Ukraine. No, no, but like Ukrainian camp. Like you, you learn how to, like my my family's Ukrainian, so you like Ukrainian dancing and like wow, you, painting Easter eggs. Canada's like, fancy. Very, very popular in Canada. Yeah. Canada's fancy, especially if you come from Winnipeg and, and Saskatchewan. A lot of Ukrainians there. But somebody was playing uh, Number of the Beast, and you hear that intro. And it's it scared the shit out of me because they were, were going through a big phase at the time of like talking about like um, uh, uh, the, the the Armageddon and the Antichrist and all this stuff, and it was kind of really freaky to hear this you know woe to you O Earth and Sea for the devil, and I remember like like being like scared like this is freaking scary. So it kind of like they're like a little bit of a horror movie type element for me at first, and then the first time I saw them was the Power Slave tour with Twisted Sister opening yeah. up for them. That was. That's and that's and that's why for me, Power Slave is is always been the the probably the album closest to my heart because that was the first tour that I saw and it was the first Maiden album that I bought and I took the bus downtown to Records on Wheels and bought the Power Slave cassette and I didn't have my Walkman batteries ran out so I remember the whole bus ride like reading the lyrics and looking at the pictures what's this gonna sound like like I can't wait to hear this and also I remember it had the running time of the album. 55 minutes and 43 seconds or whatever. I'd never seen that before. It's because it was long for back then. That's why they right. did it. Because like the albums then were 35, 
40 minutes at But they were most. using that as a badge of honor. Like it's Absolutely. 55 minutes of metal, yep. right? Yep, and, yep. You know, so so to me, that was uh, why I was so into Power Slave. And that's what we're talking about today, yep. which is Power Slave versus Number of the Beast. And I think they're, they're I mean, Peace of Mind is great too, but there's a couple songs in that album that kind of get a little bit, not shaky, but they're not up to snuff where I find Number and Power Slave are pretty much eight great songs and eight great songs. Yeah, they're the two albums with the most classic Maiden songs on them. Right, sure. right, right, exactly. So what was your first, uh, uh, you said you bought the first Before two. Uh, and then, uh, but with Number of the Beast, that was a game changer because, you know, Bruce's vocals were, you know, Right. There was another singer in my life that I liked. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't like all these singers. I liked, you know, select few. But uh, then Bruce came in like, okay. He, and he, and, he, and even was called the Air Raid Siren. Yeah. He's listed as that on the back of the album. The yeah. Air Raid Siren, Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> like, I remember the second time I had the podcast, I said, can I still call you the Air Raid Siren? He said it was a... Uh, Rod Smallwood came up yep, with it yep. and just said, well, we're going to call you the Aries. He's like, Aries, sorry, what the f*** does that mean? And, and I think Aries, the way he had, I mean, I, I hear Ian Gillen, you yes. know, in his voice. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, that's who my first vocal coach, even though I never met him. But really? I, so yeah, Ian was your first? Ian was the first one. I, I heard Child in Time and I said, I want to figure out how to do that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so I worked on that high scream for so long. But how I adapted was... You're in a small rehearsal with two guitars on a 10 and everybody blasting. So you have to sing above the that's band. That's true, yeah. And that's I'm sure that's what Bruce had to do too. And that's how he developed his vocal style too. Yeah, he said that Ian Gillen and Dio and then the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Yes. Arthur Brown were yeah. his three vocal. That's the classic influences. English thing for sure. And you can see that with Bruce's outfits that he oh, wears yeah. this day. A random yeah. jacket or a, a hat or a mask. And that's very Arthur Brown. Oh, when yeah. it's interesting too about Maiden is that you know when because I was still working at the record store when when Number of the Beast came out, and it was a really ongoing thing about who was better, Bruce Dickinson or Paul Diano. It was really split fifty fifty in the metal community back really? then. Interesting. Half of the people are like, oh, I don't like it. We like Diano because I mean those first two records were so amazing. People felt so in love with them and they're so attached to them that you know a different singer with a whole different. I mean he's a completely different sounding singer than than Diano was. And a lot of people, it was definitely 50-50. Look, I loved it. I mean, Number of the Beast is still my favorite album of all time. So I loved it. But I understood it. It was really interesting because, you know, you could get, I don't know, you could find this that, that many people now that would argue that. But back then, it was a pretty intense debate with Well, people. and the thing I was laughing was that people say, oh, yeah, Paul Diano is like more of like a punk singer. Like, he was not a punk singer. No. His range was awesome. He had an awesome range. Listen, like, Remember Tomorrow. Yeah, amazing. High-ass singing. Well, and the funny thing, too, is that, funny story. So they, they eventually, on that tour, after I saw them in... Uh, and Houston came to LA and they opened for UFO at Long Beach. And I interviewed Paul Deano for the fanzine then. And he told us during the interview in the afternoon before the show that this is going to be my last Maiden show, that I'm quitting the band, I'm going to I'm gonna leave. And we're like, Florida, what are you doing? What are, what are you? So, and he said he wanted to get out because he wanted to do something more melodic. Like, really? Paul said that? That's what, that's what Paul said. Well, and that's also saying face because we all know that they had fired him at that point in time. Well, I think, yeah, I think there was, there was it's, definitely some... some it's the famous story that, that they went to the Reading Festival uh, to see Samson. Bruce, or sorry, Steve and Rod went there with the specific, you know, intention of scouting their new singer. 
And then when they went to talk to Bruce about it, well, they had known him before because they played they played some, with some Sam. Shows yeah, they went together. to watch the you know the, to see the, them playing. A, I the think they wanted to see him play in front of a big stage. Could right. he play in front of the big stage? Kind of a front exactly. man, is he? And yep. friend, apparently, he came off stage and, and um, the first thing they gave him a leather jacket because he used to wear a white leather jacket. It's like you have to wear a black leather jacket, and um, and they and they said, you know, would you like to audition? He said, well, I'm not auditioning because if I decide I want to do this, I'm going to get the gig. But here's what we're going to do. And you and he talks about this in his book. And I've noticed this. And you look, watch Maiden is at first Steve was the front man. Like yep. he was running the stage. But when Bruce came in, Bruce was like, no, the bass player stands in the back. And Steve's like, no, this is my band. The singer stands in the back. And they're fighting for stage center stage space to where they finally had to move the monitors together or apart one of the ways so that each guy had his own little area to stand in. I can't remember exactly which one. Well, and that's why in the early days, Adrian and Dave were so far apart. Like they were all the way on the, on the sides of the stage just to stay out of the way from the, from the two guys <laughs> in the middle fighting over the stage. It's funny. And that's another thing, like as a bass player in high school, and now you know you obviously, and then Bruce is a hero of mine, but I was more of a bassist in school than a singer. And Steve Harris was the guy because you could hear the bass more than the guitars even. And I'm sure it drove guitar players crazy at first when they first heard that. Like, what's the mix on this? So bass friendly, but obviously that's you know the the, the maiden style, signature style. Yeah, I mean, I when I was a kid, I didn't know what bass was. I never, you never heard one in the '70s records. Like, what's what's bass? Great I call. Had no idea what that was. If you're an ACDC fan, it's like, well, that's the thing in the back that you hear like going. Bum, well, except bum, for bum, li- bum, except bum, for Livewire, dun dun dun, <laughs> and Soul Stripper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what was the first maiden show that you saw? Well, like I said, it was oh, the, the Houston, Houston one, Houston one in, in, in 81. So I guess I'm the only one that I saw them with Deanna of, of our little group here. How, how was the how was it with Deanna? Oh, it was amazing. It was, they were how, was he as a, how was he as a front man? Phenomenal. I mean, you know, he had it was a different story. Like Bruce is, is the, you know, run around the stage and move well, constant movement and stuff. And Deanna had a, a presence about him. Like he was up there and he was like he was hardcore. You know, he looked amazing. And they were phenomenal. The funny thing was, is it was at this Coliseum or something. And we, I had seats like seven or eighth row. And this is back when they had seats on, on the floors. So my friend and I were there. We were standing up going crazy. And the security kept going, sit down. You got to sit down. I'm like, I can't sit down and watch this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm having a religious experience here. Let me go crazy. <laughs> but no, they, he, was, he was amazing. I, I, I always loved him as a front man. Completely different than Bruce, but he still had a presence of command up there that was awesome. But he didn't move a lot, so it was very, he was very Halford-esque in mm. all honesty. I mean, he had, he had, he looked like he had the whole Great get up kind of yeah. like Halford kind of did, because Halford doesn't really run around on stage either, so it was very much a Halford sort of vibe, and then Steve was kind of, you know, doing his thing as the kind of main, but he, I thought he was great. I thought Dana was phenomenal. What was your first uh, main concert, Jeff? Same one as you. Power Slave? Because yep. I remember they came the year before to Winnipeg, Peace of Mind Tour, mm-hmm. But I didn't go because I didn't really know them at that point in time. Correct. Know? And I was a little young because that was the first year I got to go to concerts on my own was in 84. Was Do you remember who opened for them in 83? Peace of mind? Coney Hatch. Oh, like wow. Coney Hatch probably, right? Yeah, Coney, Where, Hatch. Coney Hatch opened for everybody. I saw them uh, on the Peace of Mind and it was Saxon. Oh, right on. Power and the Glory. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. it was awesome. I think, I think, Canada, so I think they... Coney Hatch might have been the, the, I think it was a three-band bill. Oh, maybe. In the States even? I'm trying to, I saw Coney Hatch a lot in the States. They opened, they opened for tons of bands. So the one you saw, Lizzie, was the, uh, I think it was called the British Metal Onslaught Tour. And it was Maiden and Saxon, I think Fastway. Fastway, that's, that's the right. one. Exactly, yes. yeah. You're right about that, because yeah. I saw that in San Bernardino where I almost got crushed to death. And then I saw it. And I just almost got crushed it was to either death. The Because f- I was the only time I've ever been in the front of a show. 
and I got all the way to the front because I'm I'm like not that kind of guy, but I was like yeah. freaking Iron Maiden, I got to do it. <laughs> and by by halfway through Saxon, I went, I'm going to die. I got to get out. So I got out <laughs> and just watched the rest of the show from the back, which was way more comfortable. That's a great thing though, and it's something that I used for, for Fozzy in that playing bigger venues, even if you don't know if you can fill them. You have, you know, it's like Field of Dreams. If you if you build it, they will come. And that tour was that was Rod's brainchild, where they had been opening. I think the Number of the Beast they were opening for Priest. Yep. Uh, was it Priest and Number of the Beast? They opened for oh, I'm trying to remember now. That might have been the well, that was special, right? Or yeah, they were, they were they were doing like little bits and pieces of stuff. Point being is that. Uh, Rod said, we're doing an arena tour. And they said, well, you're not big enough to do an arena tour. He said, we're doing it. And somehow he was able to convince the promoters to book the arena tour with the British Metal Onslaught with Saxon. And they they did great. And they did two stuff. Southern California shows. They did San Bernardino one, which is about a, you know two hours outside of LA. And they also played at Long, at Long Beach Arena too, which And that amazing. put them on the map. Yep, totally. And big time. Because they, they, they didn't have a radio hit. They didn't have an MTV hit. They didn't have anything at Nothing. that time. Nothing. So, a band to play arenas, people are like you're crazy, but and, and some really shitty videos. Maiden, yeah. <laughs> Maiden have never had a good video. Hmm. Yeah, you might be right about that. Wasted right. years, maybe. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> I was gonna say something off of like one of those, like the Clairvoyant or something. Kind of had an interesting video. Well, Clairvoyant to it. was, I think, from downloads. So anytime you could see him play in front of a giant <clears throat> yeah. crowd like that, yeah. Because kind of play with Madness was stupid. Yeah. With the guy from Monty Python in it, they fall down a hole or some yeah. shit or like British British. Lame attempted British humor. Run to the hills was like just old the Indians. Cowboys yeah. and Indians, you know. And that got a lot Flight of play Icarus too, though. Yeah. Flight of Icarus was the one that, that MTV played constantly, and that one wasn't too and bad. That, and that got bigger. probably the most radio play for them. And they've never time. they haven't played that song in years. I know yeah. Bruce so hates weird. it. I know. Oh, Bruce I know. Hates it. I know. They uh, had remember the number of the Beast video that has the devil in it. Mm -hmm. The rumors that that's Nico McBrain. No, yeah, maybe. I think it is. It's possible. <laughs> Let's say it is. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, so let's Why go uh, to a little bit of tail of the tape here, talking about the two albums uh, in question, Number of the Beast and, uh, and and Power Slave. So Number of the Beast came out on... Oh, okay, sorry. Um, okay, so uh, March 22nd, 1982 is when Number of the Beast was released, produced by Martin Birch, and it is uh, 39 minutes and 11 seconds long. So it's very compact, and whereas Power Slave is September 3rd, 1984. Uh, also Martin Birch, sorry, 51 minutes and 12 seconds yeah, is yeah. the running time of that. Um, now let's, right off the bat, let's talk about the album covers. In Number of the Beast is obviously the famous where the devil is playing an Eddie, uh, is uh, puppetering an Eddie puppet mm -hmm. and then standing over him puppeting the devil is Eddie. Mm -hmm. Very, very iconic cover. Yep. What do you think about it? In all honesty, again, it, in, it's my favorite album of all time, but I, I can't say that I'm a massive fan of the cover. It's it's okay. It's it's a good cover. I think when it came out, it was really striking, but as time has gone on, it doesn't quite stand the test of time as much, but it's an iconic cover, so yeah. what, what can you really say about I it? I always liked the fact that we used to have these arguments when I was in uh, high school. I liked Eddie with hair. So Whereas yeah, uh, 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 um, who would win in a fight, Eddie or the Hellion? 
from Judas Priest. <laughs> and I remember these guys like the hell he's got like missiles on it, and guns. I'm like Eddie controls the devil. Yeah, yeah. he wins. Yeah, exactly. He wins. Hands down. Plus but, that that's probably on the most t-shirts. Uh, right. For yeah, the, Iron the, the Man. number of the beast album cover for yeah. sure. Out of all the t-shirts that you would see, it's, it is the iconic yeah. uh, cover. But I will say this: the the cover of of Power Slave is very epic and that is it beside well cut somewhere in time is my favorite album cover because really because it's got all the, the clues and details and shit oh, in it. but as an image i think power slave is, is the one of course yes. the egyptian See? the uh, egyptian pyramid where eddie is carved in stone i love that he cover is the god and just i love like the lightning and the blue and all that sort of stuff and it almost looks like a movie poster. A movie, I look exactly. Killers is the be- greatest album cover of all time for yeah. me, not just for Iron Maiden, but for any band ever. Yeah, for a heavy metal uh, band. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this cover is my second favorite Iron Maiden album just cover. Just the colors just, of yeah, it. Yeah, the colors pops. of it. It just looked so professional too back then. It was yeah. like it looked like, oh my god, this is something. Just and, and it really also amazing. has little things in there. Derek Riggs. If you look down on the, on the the corner, it's got a Kilroy. Remember Kilroy, the cartoon character? Yep. It says Kilroy was here. <laughs> And then on the other side, it says W O T T A. What a load of shit! Yeah, really, I yeah, didn't even know that. It's in there too. He's got some. He's got some trivia. I got some I like trivia. I, we did a, our meet and greet in um, uh, where were we? Uh, El Paso, Phoenix, and we do a VIP thing. We do a little concert for the VIPs, and then we do the signing and all that stuff. And the guy came down the line and gave me a present, which was a framed Eddie uh, drawing by Derek Riggs. Oh yeah, I've got a bunch signed. Of those. To Chris yep. from Derek Riggs. Nice. And I was like, dude, like this is thank you, man. Like That's what awesome. a great and now I don't have no idea where it is. I hope it's on the bus somewhere. Oh, geez. But... Let me know because I, I know Derek, so I've, I've got a bunch of Of those course things. you gotta trump me every yeah. time. Sorry. <laughs> uh Derek's actually done a self portrait. I'll, I'll trump I'll trump you even further because we talk about the album cover and, and the whole like, you know, uh, Egyptian theme, which was the theme of the concert. So ten of the greatest days of my entire life I spent in eight, 1984 in London. I saw Dio with Queensryche opening twice at Hammersmith and then two of the four shows that Maiden did at Hammersmith as well. What was interesting was they both had literally almost the same stage setup. Dio had an Egyptian stage setup because right. he was doing... Um, forget, uh, he was doing... Uh, Egypt, uh, the chains uh, are on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then literally seven days later, Iron Maiden had it. <laughs> so I remember talking to Ronnie one time and I go, you know, I saw you guys in the same week basically and you had basically the same, same stage setup. Do you have any idea that was happening? He's like, no, we had no idea. But then he went on a diatribe about how much he hated Hammersmith because it was a there's like no everything's all stairs and <laughs> elevators and I go it's one of the greatest places ever you're disparaging for sp- 10 minutes freaking me out was he smoking out. a joint at the time he was not Dio not. smoked a lot of pot yeah 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 he <laughs> might have right before then but at that at that period of time he was not it's a, uh, did you see the number of the beast tour anybody here yeah yeah absolutely. what was the stage show like on that That because I think the power slave tour was the first that like, first big one theme yeah. Uh, stage show. It was pretty standard. I mean, if you look at the the Hammersmith video that, that's out there, the live video is for pyramids it's, in the back. Yeah, it's light, fairly light. fairly similar to that. A little bit bit of a bigger scale. Because Hammersmith is small. Yeah, it wasn't anything spectacular, but right. when uh, I know, saw it was still it good. Was, it, they were one of like ten bands on the bill. So. Okay, so you didn't get the full no, stage. Show. I don't remember them having it. Yeah, the full stage show was was nice, but it wasn't anything you. you I, don't, I don't really remember exactly everything was in there. It's pretty similar to the videos that you see. Now let me also point this out that this is the first record that uh, uh, has the same lineup on it from the last record. For I me, know, right? Right. So it's the first time they had a uh, the chemistry of that classic lineup. Well, let, well, here let's sit, let me ask a question. Sorry to, to take sure. over from your role there. Jeez. So Calm down, dude. Uh, hey, you know we're talking about Maiden here. Uh, <laughs> so the difference for me, the big difference for me between Number of the Beast and Power Slave, and why Number of the Beast is my favorite album of all time over Power Slave, is the drumming. 
And for me, Clive Burr is one of the greatest metal drummers of all time. And I mean, look, Nico is phenomenal. And you can't take anything away from him. And he's obviously been with the band forever and still playing great. But that's the difference. So I'll ask each one of you, who is your favorite drummer in Maiden, Clive Burr or Nico McBrain? Well, and it's funny too. There's this real penchant for Americans to want to call him Nico McBrain. It's Nico. Nico, well, it's yeah. Nico McBrain. But for some reason, everyone says Nico. It's one of those weird things that you, you United States people Celtic, do. Celtic. Americans, right? <laughs> Celtic Frost. Uh, it's interesting because I, once again, came into the fold as a, as, a, as a Nico guy. But I think the best drumming ever on a Maiden record is Clive Burr on, on Number of the Beast. And I'll give you one little tidbit before I move to Lizzie is that when I was had Lars on the show, um, I said to him, because Lars does never uses his toms really anymore. He doesn't do a lot of fills. He uses his snare drum for fills. And I said, why is that? And he said, one answer, said Clive Burr. He goes, Clive Burr uses his snare drum as a fill so many times. And I can listen, I can hear in my head, how will be thy name? Right when it goes last part, it's just. It's not like. It's just the snare drum. And you realize that Clive Burr was a mother great, great player. So amazing. What do you think of this? Well, I think the records that he was on, those songs, that the drumming was perfect for that. And then when they kind of shifted to more of an epic. Great point. Melodic kind of thing. Nico. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do it. I almost did it. <laughs> I wonder if Nico ever, ever thinks that, you know? <laughs> That's a good no, he was, he was perfect for, from then on for, for what they did. And I don't know. Yeah, because uh, they were kind of, you know, writing four-minute rock songs. That's a great point. Rock metal songs. And then they went to this, you know, could, picturesque. The more progressive but stuff, But Nico's yeah. more of a prog drummer. I'm not going to say Clive couldn't do it, but it's hard for me to think of Clive playing even, like, you know, the red and the black 13 minutes and all the different changes and parts. I'm sure Clive could do it, but he was much more of a, almost more of a Phil Rudd-type pounder. Yeah. He, he reminds me a lot of Dave Lombardo, where he's playing. Like, Dave plays a little bit different. Like yeah. he's not, he's not like, like you couldn't put a click track to him because he doesn't play to a click track and neither did Clive Burr. Like he's playing kind of off. I mean, just a tiny second off, which makes yes. it brilliant, which was also what Dave he's does human, yeah. and makes it unique. Whereas Nico is definitely, I mean, he's, he's in that groove sort of thing. And I think Lizzie does make a great point with the proggy sort of stuff that Nico's probably a better uh, player for that Fit sort of for stuff. That. I don't know. I mean, Jeff, you came in with him as a drummer too. So, right. I came in late, but I mean, seeing the videos from number of the beast and stuff and, and the different because they still had some video where he was on right in the video yeah because iron maiden like aces high and all that there wasn't really so much live footage and this as i remember but so yeah i remember seeing him visually but of course seeing him live for the first time was obviously nico clive was the guy too like even in the pictures he just looked like a rocker like he looked like oh, the yeah. guy like he wore no shirt and spandex pants like holding like a bottle of jack in one hand a cigarette in the other and like, one of the nicest guys ever really such yeah. a nice guy but he you know, he had demons. He that's I mean, that's really why they kicked him out. He couldn't deal with the I mean, it's those one guys those, like to drink, but he was like It's so one of those up. things with Maiden and much like A C D C if you weren't pulling your weight, yep. you might have got a warning or two, but they had no problems cutting your ass loose and moving on to the next guy. That's just the way it was, you know? Yeah, sad, sad. And I mean no they felt bad about about Clive too, because they loved him and he came up with them. But at, yeah. some, at a certain point, like if you can't if you can't play at a certain level every night, then you know, we, if we you're, especially as the drummer, man. Yeah, you know, drummers I mean, gotta they be drive the, the whole thing. Yeah. All right, so here we go into the uh, track by track punch out, starting off with Aces High, well, Invaders versus Aces High. 
Well, I mean, look, one thing I'll say is people go about uh, on about Invader saying it's the worst be- beginning song ever. For Who worst says first- that? I hear that all the time. Seriously? And I think, oh, absolutely. And I think the problem with that is you've got literally the next rest of the ra- record is almost the seven or eight greatest songs ever written by a heavy metal band or any band, in my opinion. So so the first track isn't up to there, but it's still a great track. I mean, look, you, it's not going to stand the test. I mean, Ace is High clearly is a yeah. far better track. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. But but I had to stay, I had to stand up because I really do like Invaders. But people, I think Invaders people, is a great song. But here's people another, crap on that all the time. It drives me nuts. But here's what I love about it. So Invaders, peace of mind, they get a new drummer. They open off up where he goes there with this really killer little drum fill, right? Yeah, yeah. Get a new singer. He's called the Air Raid Siren, and the first song is Invaders, and that song is a f***er to sing that. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say you have trouble, but that would be even high for your range, Liz, and you got a higher range than I do. That chorus is crazy. Well, the, even the better part is uh, on that song is his phrasing, because he's able to answer the, his answers were you know really wicked and mm. you know giving that kind of uh, in, those inflections where he's you know selling it. Right, right, you know, right, he'd right. Set it up and then he'd sell it and set it up and sell it. And Ace's High is so melodic that he's just flowing with the music. So mm-hmm. it, those inflections are not there. So that's a good point. And also, too, you're dealing with a guy who was singing songs about whatever Samson was singing about, you know, like Earth Mother and uh, She's a Nice Girl, whatever their songs were. And he's coming and singing this song about Viking attacks and the mighty Norsemen and raping, robbing, and killing. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of times, like, I feel a lot of respect for Getty Lee. As a singer who has to sing these freaking lyrics that Neil Peart's wrote, I'm sure somebody's like, "What the f- are you talking about, man?" <laughs> and I think before Bruce started writing, he probably got a lot of those ones from Steve too. It's like, "What is this? What am I supposed to do with this?" Well, it's got to be hard. I think it's got to be hard for a, a vocalist. I guess you know it's funny because you talk to vocalists a lot of times, and some of them think it's hard to sing lyrics that they don't write, but others go like, "I don't." I'm like Elton John, for example. Like, I'm fine with that, and I can fr- I can phrase it out. Yeah, yeah. It, it, wor- you, it you works. You have to perfect. sell them. Yeah, totally. But that's but that's a difficult thing when you have to sell somebody else's words, right? And it's a tricky thing to do, and, and not a lot of the time that happens. So we had to do that on this record. Uh, I usually write all the lyrics, but on this record, a producer wrote a lot of lyrics, and they're all like, "I can't." He's he's great at it, but okay. So he wrote the lyric, but I'm the one who has to sell it. I'm the one who has to introduce them to the world and sing it. So you have to kind of internalize it. Yeah, most people have no clue that don't, Elton don't. John didn't right. write all that stuff. Great right? point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great point. So yeah. I'm I'm gonna say. Uh, for all these reasons that we're talking about, both great songs, but Ace is High, one of the top 10 best Maiden songs for me. Just yep. a classic, great opener for the live show with the the uh, the tape intro with the Winston Churchill speech. So um, I got fingers crossed they're going to play that uh, on this next run of shows. They probably will. You know what they're going to do? They're, they're doing their the style. The, the legacy But, but they got to throw in, like, just give me one, like, give me a Flight of Icarus or give me a Back in the Village or give me a Still Life. Yeah, that'd be awesome. They'll never do it, but well, they might do one. They usually pull out one out of the eh, mothballs. Maybe they better. Liz, what do you think between the two? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I Ace's Eyes is so embedded, yeah, in the whole culture of that time. But Invaders is so unique and interesting that I, I, if I had to listen to both of them right now, because I've heard Ace's High a zillion times, I would. So you're taking probably, Invaders, okay. I would probably put pop on it. Oh, I like cool. it. Wow. No, I like I it. Like, I had gone out on a limb. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Right. Jeff? I'm definitely aces high. Okay. That, just the starting, when you put that back then, the needle right on the vinyl there, and it was just... It, it comes out yeah. like... And that is one of the most, uh, I'm going to say underrated, but that guitar part at the beginning, that harmony part, 
People never think about that when they think of great maiden harmonies. That opening harmony is crazy. Very, well, that, that song is definitely my favorite Maiden opening song of an album. I Ace agree. High, yeah. I, I like Moonchild was good, but it's not as good as yeah. Ace is High. But those Agreed. are the two that, that I really dug. Agreed. And also, a little bit, of, uh, there's a Raven song called Faster Than the Speed of Light. Oh, yeah. That has a part that goes And Steve nicked that for Ace is High. Yeah, well. Metallica's got an Omen riff in their new album. so everybody's Which favorite. one? Uh, in uh, Atlas it's a holy martyr by only if you listen to it it's almost exactly wow interesting all right so the next one is uh children of the damned versus two minutes to midnight this is a really tough one for me but we got uh, the room service guy is going to come we're going to ask him a question this is live people you know sometimes uh room service people come so let's let's see what's going on here hello yeah how are you we're talking about iron man you like you familiar with the band iron maiden Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we could. <laughs> you want to do some karaoke with us? Are you good at karaoke? I do karaoke party. Yeah. <laughs> it's a karaoke party. Only, only Iron Maiden karaoke. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. Just leave it right there. It's fine. Thank you. Just sign for it, Jeff. Do you, do you like rock and roll and, music? And your favorite Iron Maiden song is which one? Ace is High? Yeah. Ace is High, right? Favorite Iron Maiden song? Ace is High. She said Ace is High. Well, we're in Vegas, so... <laughs> okay, so so uh, as she's getting everything going, Children um, of the Damned. I mean, it's a tough one for me because obviously both of them are such icon. I mean, you know, Two Minutes to Midnight is one of those iconic songs, but Children of the Damned is in my top probably five, definitely my top five Iron Maiden songs of all time. So I got to go with Children of the Damned. All right, Lizzie, I got to go with Children of the Damned too, just because of the uh, the hauntedness of it. You know, it's just it's just uh, it's great. And the, the chorus, the too, lyrics, the melody. It's all about haunted. It's very yeah, haunted. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about, uh, once again, that's a, a, another Maiden song written about a movie. Yeah. I think, it's, I think the movie's called Children of the Damned. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that's actually yeah, the movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. They, they remade that a few years ago. And that was a really crazy, haunted, weirdo movie. Yes. So, uh, um, this song is just, you know, epic. And it's, you know, Bruce is a god on that song. Builds so well, yeah. sings it very well. That's one of those ones where they, when they busted that out on the Book of Souls tour, everybody was super excited about it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I always love that song. Jeff? I'm going to have to go with Two Minutes to Midnight again. He's just, yeah. he's, power, he's wearing a Power Slave yeah, shirt. Yeah, <laughs> well, so. He's got a Power Slave shirt, and I got the Power Slave Eddie tattooed on my arm, so it's pretty obvious which ones we like better. <laughs> but uh, so, reasons? Well, again, because that was the album that I was like first purchased, first. I had to cut grass, ride my bike, go down there, buy it, put it on, and get home. Like, wait till you get home, put the needle on the record, and just the whole. It was just. That it was, was the that one. Album was just iconic for what it was. I'm going to go with Two Minutes to Midnight. Great riff. It's Adrian's, you know, masterpiece, and he's of written course. a lot of them. I love, love, love the solo in that song um, and the breakdown of it with just the bass. And once again, a terrible video that i'm not sure exactly what the hell's going on there's there some no chicks in the shower and there's some weird egyptian eyes going on and there's like some kind of a guy reading a book or whatever but i also love the title two minutes to midnight what does that mean and then find out it's the nuclear clock and at that point in time in 1984 the nuclear you know clock was at two minutes to midnight which means we're almost at nuclear war haunting in yeah. a different way yeah you know oh thank you bye-bye thank you bye-bye Okay, thank you. Very good. Very nice Iron Maiden fan. She's walking like a dead man. 
<laughs> she's like, that's awful. Have you been drinking all night? She's thinking. <laughs> uh, thank you. You're doing karaoke Lucy, with her. He's much better tonight. than I am. Oh. Um, so yeah, two minutes to midnight is 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 is, is the one I'm going to go with. And to this day, uh, when they don't play it, it, it bothers me. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's one of those ones though where they play it so often that you kind of like. They do, eh, but they, yeah, they, they dropped it last tour, but you know it's going to be back in it's there. It's like Savage with Metallica. I, mean, I love that song, but stop it. I was listening to a, a podcast today or something where people said that some guy was like, Saboteur is the worst Metallica song ever. No, no, that's Because not it true. sticks out like a sore thumb. I, I agree. think people are just tired of it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So, okay, after that is Prisoner versus Lost for Words, Big Aura. Well, that's, that's, that's the one where it's no contest. No contest, yeah. yeah. Lost for Words. No, I'm just kidding. Interesting, yeah, the prison, though. The um Maiden had an instrumental on uh, their first two records. Yep. And then this was the return of the instrumental and also the last instrumental they've ever done. Yeah, um, I wonder if that's a Bruce thing because Bruce wants to sing. Because I think, you know, the, there was some prevailing theory that Invaders was going to be an instrumental track. Really? Because it's, it's, it's a little hard for him to sing. I mean, I think that's why people don't gravitate toward it. It's a difficult song to sing over if you look at the... what Lizzie said. Exactly. So and he does a great job on it. So I think his his stab is like, look, whatever you give me, I can I can figure it out. As opposed to maybe with Deanna, I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do like Lost for Words. I think it's a great instrumental. But like you said, it's it's a filler track. Yeah, it's a cool idea. And I, when I was a kid in high school, I used to try and uh, write lyrics and melodies to it just as an exercise. Yeah. You know, to see like, oh, how am I? What would I do for a melody in this? Okay, that's cool. And let me see, what would I do? Give me another version of it. You know, but no. Uh, no, no contest. No contest. And, and prisoner. Even, well, even, does even Mr. Power Slave Jeff over here agree with that? I agree. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. there Just you go. the intro alone, you a know, prisoner. from yeah. the TV show or whatever. Another classic yeah. made in, written about a, a... So look at this. Bruce comes in the band. The first three songs, one is about Viking attack. Two is about the movie Children of the Damned. Three is about the TV show The Prisoner. Yes. He's probably thinking, what the hell are these guys on? What's the trip for these dudes? They were influenced by what was happening in their lives. You yeah. Know? And, and I was the same thing. You know, we're... We're watching splatter flicks all the time, so that was what I wrote about. You know, love you to pieces. Yeah, in uh, the best is 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 this really hot chick uh, sitting kind of on a bed, and um, she's looking all cool. And in the mirror behind her, you can see you, Lizzie Borden standing there with an axe. Yeah, I always love that, but it's very subtle. Like, oh, like it's a hot chick, love you to pieces. Oh no, wait, there he is. And every day, someone says, "You know what? I just discovered." Never that. know it, right? Oh, I really? had that album forever, and I just discovered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, I was tricky because back then we didn't have like big album cover budgets or album budgets or anything. So that I, I love the way that image came out. It came out really good, even though we didn't. I probably just didn't spend much on it. We just got some decent photographer. It, the guy who shot it uh, did portraits. Oh, yeah. for like graduate students and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to push one of Charlie's buttons, uh, just mention to him the cover for Fistful of Metal. I'm still trying to figure oh, out what yeah. the hell's going on in that. I think everybody's trying to figure that out. The, the, the fist is coming through the guys. Well, first of all, it took me a while to figure out is the guy punching him from behind. Uh, it's coming out of his mouth, but the the fist, the thumb's on the wrong side. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. imagine my thumb being over here, and that's what you're seeing. 
So the guy's obviously some kind of a mutant with a thumb <laughs> where his pinky should be. All those early 80s when we had zero money to do stuff or all, there's a lot of bad Okay, yes. And you're the, one, you're the one who signed off on Night on Brock. And- I did, hey, it was, we, we had no other choice. <laughs> it's like the band sent it in. I'm like, well, I guess it's pretty we, Funny thing about that, though, we, we changed it. And then all of the fans now want the original one. So we reissued yeah. again with the original well, cover. You, like, have, are you guys yeah. crazy? What? You guys got to own that we, like, shit. We burned the original <laughs> one. We actually it's, burned it. it was so for all bad. you guys listening, if you haven't seen Google, face warning, night on Brocken. <laughs> And you'll see, uh, is it a witch getting I don't know what burned, it has, a steak getting, yeah. or something? And it looks Just like it's like worst album covers of all time. It's lo- generally the top thirty. Or it something. looks like it's been drawn by like not even by an eight year old. An eight year old would do better. Yeah, it looks like someone who's got like severe mental in, disabilities. In, in Rio, yeah. yeah, by a yeah, monkey. So give a thousand monkeys a thousand years, and they'll draw the. Uh, Cover pretty much. Rocking. All right, then we go to uh, twenty-two Acacia Avenue versus Flash of the Blade. You know, this is a tough one for me actually because I love Flash of the Blade. Of course, the t- song title itself is is amazing. Another great song title. I know that's that's a really because Acacia. I'm gonna have to go with Acacia Avenue just because it's another iconic song. But that's. I don't know. Maybe I don't know where I want to go. Why don't you guys answer? What do you think about this? I was well, debating this all night think, long. I, I love that song just because of the uh, the uh, twenty two because it's uh, the atmosphere of where where the lyrics are taking you. Oh, it's about a, a prostitute. Yeah, yeah and that's house, one yeah. of those things where it's like, okay, well, where where are we going with this? And so you're following along intently instead of just listening to it. You're actually listening to the lyrics and where this is going and what he's, you know, where, where are you taking us? Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe, and I'm, maybe I'm in, imagining this, but I believe on the lyric sheet, it might have even had the continuing story of Charlotte the Harlot. Yeah, that yeah that's seems what it was. Like yeah. It was, right? But I yeah, remember it actually said that. Yeah. It's about her, yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool as well. I got to tell you, though, man, I mean, Flash the Blade, here's an interesting thing about Flash the Blade, solely written by Bruce Dickinson, which I don't think he's done since until uh, Book of Souls records. Like, go with... Um, Eternity should fail, and then the the uh, Empire of the of the sky, or whatever it was. But um, ever the cloud. Sorry, I knew if I said it wrong, you'd pay attention. <laughs> yeah, man, twenty two K Avenue. Um, the if you're feeling down, depressed, down around. Um, I gotta go twenty two K Avenue. But I always love the chorus of Flash the Blade, and I still don't know what the lyric is on that. You die as you lived in a flash of the blade. Which I think it's like in a corner standing by no one or something like that, which doesn't make any sense at all. But well, you can pull it up on Google. I mean, I, I'm, I think, I, I, think I'm, I lean toward Flash of the Blade on this one, even though I love Acacia really? Avenue. But Flash of the Blade is one of those like Iron Maiden songs that they never played live. Good call. That is kind of one of those, you know, people think is a secondary song because they never played it live. But when that record came out, I always loved that song. I was super bummed that they ever played it. I always ask Smallwood, do you think they ever, they'll never play that song. I'm like, really? It's funny I though because you song. think like, you know, that had a guitar intro that everyone could play too. I remember I was shitty at guitar, but I go, it's a great, it's a great song. It's like Sun and Steel is another one that's kind of a forgotten classic too. It's a great song and that's a fun one to sing, but this is what bugs me. You'll die as you lived in a flash of the blade in a corner forgotten by no one well it's kind of you i think you're just the whole idea of it is that you know some worthless soul is being killed by the flash of a blade so. but, but, but the melody of that doesn't fit those lyrics in a corner forgotten by no one it's weird you gotta fit the lyrics in somehow it's a, it's a weird lyric jeff i'm going the opposite again 22 yeah well yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the right answer. Just like a wise man. He's like, you're all waiting for bated breath to see what he's going to say. I just like it because the the verses as well. I mean, they haven't done anything like that 
and they kind of abandoned that whole kind of thing. And that's kind of almost a queen well, what's the thing. You're talking about, you know the. Uh, Dun, 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 yeah, um, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the guitar and vocal, right? Thing. Right. right. They haven't right, really right. done too much of that that I that I know of. As we're talking here, and they're getting ready to do like the Legacy of the Beast tour, that'd be so cool if they busted out either one of these songs. Oh my god, it'd be, if it they would, just did the one of fans these, fans would. Well, I wonder the fans would freak out, but then when some fans go, oh, I want to hear, you know, they but, won't play. But at Children this point, of the time, or though, it's, like, it's like if they do one of them, that gives you. Uh, a reason to want to go again. Yeah, they'll never do it though. I, I, I just, I know. Rod, I talk to Rod all the time about this sort of stuff, and because I'm always the, the fan in there, kind of needling well, dude, him. They busted out Seven Son of a Seven Son. Yeah, that. but that's a, ne- that's a pretty iconic song from that record. That's a great record. Well, so they, 22 Acacia Avenue. I agree. I agree. I mean, may, maybe, call Smallwood now. All right, yeah, we'll call him now. <laughs> By the way, the reason I wasn't paying attention two minutes ago because I was trying to figure out which which thing we're doing this for. So are we doing Number of the Beast with Total Eclipse on it or without Total Eclipse well, on it? Well, no, Total Eclipse is not on the album. Well, it's on the se- secondary version. Well, it wasn't on the original one. That's what we're dealing with here. All right. And we'll get to that when we get to the song. All right, question. fine. There's some controversy. But I'm out of here. The, the whole thing is that each album has to have the same amount of songs. That's my rule. Oh, okay, got it. All right, All right. fair enough. Then we go to, um, wow, it's interesting. Number of the Beast versus The Duelists. Yeah, well, <laughs> do we even need to? <laughs> we don't. I don't even. Other than talking about how amazing Number of the Beast is, we don't. Well, really the funny thing about with the Duelist is, um, it's I think six minutes and eighteen seconds, and I think there's a minute and thirty seconds of singing on it. It's very quick to I sing. Know. It's that whole four-minute middle section is what the song is based all about, and it's some great noodling, some great musicianship. Um, but you know, it's a great tune. But it, it, it's an awesome song. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's when you're when you're doing verses, and it's like that would be. Uh, That'd be Chris Jericho versus a five-year-old kid in, in the, the WWE ring. Yeah. I always loved, uh, um, too, was, I lived alone. My mind was blank. Yeah. Uh, I needed time to warp. Get, warp. Them, get the memories. Yeah, but no, my warp, uh, warp mind. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. everyone thought it was a woman when I was growing up. By the way, the thing about Number of the Beast, too, is, in my opinion, the greatest scream of all time is wow. Bruce's scream in that song. That's oh, some, my God. With, just, with Roger amazing. Daltrey and... Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, Won't that, get fooled again. Well, that's exactly where he got it from. But yeah. that's, when I first heard that scream, I was like, "How could anyone even do that?" And the thing that's cool about it is, apparently, like Bruce, like Martin Birch made Bruce do that, like you know, eighteen times. Yeah, yeah. and it was the last one. Like he's like, "That's I can't do it anymore." And he's like, "We well, don't have to." That's the one. Wow, wow. perfect. And the, didn't he do the the all the vocals on that record like ten hours or something? It wasn't that quick, but it was very quick. It was pretty I think, quick. Yeah. Maybe two days or something. Like that. I know too. Like it's interesting because there's certain singers you mentioned Roger Daltrey. I saw the Who. A couple years ago, he still sings great, but obviously he's a seven-year-old guy. But he still nails that scream. That's yeah. I oh, went. Wow. I went and saw Loverboy. Mike Reno still nails the scream in Turn Me Loose. Really? Yes. Yeah. And Bruce still does the scream in Number of the Beast, and it's great it's because pretty, it's pretty close. He can't do it quite. He's there, got but it's one close. scream that he uses in certain places, and it's a great one. But that's what he puts in there. He still he still gets close to it. Yeah, hey, as close as you can get. Um, the, 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 uh, yeah, I lived alone. I left, I left alone. My mind was blank. I always thought it was, I lived alone. Yeah. <laughs> I needed time to think the war the members from my mind would say, I believe. Yeah. Just what I saw in my old dreams were the reflections of my wo- woman staring back at me is what I thought it was. But That's the, what I always thought it was. It was warped, my warped mind warped staring mind. back yeah. at me. The woman is, is, yeah. I mean, I like Benny the Jets. I always thought it was electric boobs. <laughs> electric boobs? Yeah. It's bo- boots, right? <laughs> boots, yeah. yeah. How about uh, uh, You Not Head by Judas Priest? Say what? You Not Head. Oh. You Not Head, You Not Head, You Not Head. We st- I thought that was it. And then the other one was, I thought it was Big Old Jed Had a Light On. Big Old Jed Had a Light On. Come and take me too far away. 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. Jeff, do we even have to ask? What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say figuring out lyrics off of, we used to have to figure out lyrics to do cover songs off of the album. Wow, right. And just listen to it and then write it down. I remember we, we used to do nothing but UFO songs. And Phil's voice is so monotone that you can't distinguish some of the words. And I And to this day, I wrote those words. I'm like, this is can't be right. <laughs> yeah. But I have no choice. This, I, there was no internet at the time. Yeah, you couldn't just Google and the lyrics. In the, se- in the 70s, Harley Eels bands put lyrics in. I remember I, I was a huge, Blue, and still I'm a huge Blue Oyster Cult fan. And they didn't have any lyrics. And their lyrics were crazy. And it was driving me crazy. So they had a thing where you could actually send $5 in and they would send you back the lyrics. Oh, wow. Like typewritten out. So wow, I actually no have those for the first I, I three did, records. I did that for Blue Oyster Cult too. Yeah, yeah. I still have it somewhere. It's yeah, all I have it in my vinyl. Yeah. Yep. It's funny for uh, um, uh, the Judas vinyl that came out. Like Sin and Bones, it was a double gatefold big thing. Uh, uh, do Honest to the War, lyrics and pictures. And then I get, you know, the new phone book is here. You get it in the mail. I open it up and it's like just the paper sleeve. And I'm like, that's, all, you know what I mean? Like there's no lyrics, no pictures. I'm like, we just got ACDC'd. Because yep. ACDC never had any lyrics or pictures. They would just be like the paper sleeve. You'd yep. pull it out. You know, Jeff, do I have to even say? Uh, well, the duelist gets unfortunate because they're the last song on the first album first side of the album good call and number of the beast is the first track on the second great so point that's a really great, great point. point that is a great point see the wise old jeff comes in with a good point so there was a reason why he's here good <laughs> that's it yeah because the number of the beast is four and four and uh, power slave because one well, of the songs we're going to talk about is five and three yeah interesting good right. point so you're not going to put the the rocker on last Right. You got to save it for for the first. Back well, what's the, what was, was so sides. you could go? Well, we could also, but it's the debate still would be over. You go back to Acacia Avenue versus the Duelist, the ending song. Yeah, then it's going to be Acacia. It's Avenue. still Acacia Avenue. Um, okay, so here we go to the next one, and it's uh, Run to the Hills versus Back in the Village. <laughs> kind of another massacre there. Yeah. I mean, I actually like Back in the Village. Quite, I love Back lot. in the Village, um, but I mean, Run to the Hills is like one of their iconic songs. But they also don't play live anymore. Run of the Hills? They haven't played live. Oh, I haven't well, played live for a while. Wait three months. You'll get it for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. <laughs> for sure this one. They haven't played for I a think, while. Um, I think I had this thing I did with the Avenged Sevenfold guys. But is there such a thing as a perfect album? And the criteria is every song has to be A- minus or better. If you were going to debate Power Slave as being a perfect album, the one song that someone might not go for is Back in the Village. They yeah. might say that's a B+. And Number song. of the Beast is probably going to be the one we're going to talk about next, Gangland. Exactly. Yeah. But um, I love Back in the Village, but once again, it's got very prisoner lyrics. It's, it's, it's another song about the prisoner. If you look at those lyrics, oh, yeah. yeah, that's all very weird and background. That was a huge show for Steve Harris, so it makes sense. But this one was Smith and Dickinson. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. you're right. The Smith Dickinson. I guess maybe they, well, they also all grew up in England at the same time, so it was a big show for all of them, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and um, Number of the Beast, or sorry, Run of the Hills, uh, Steve Harris, you know, obviously great composition, still one of the most singable songs. And probably Maine's probably biggest biggest ma- uh, radio hit. Probably the biggest, which is funny because they don't like, they haven't played Run of the Hills or Flight of Icarus. Re- arguably, they're two biggest radio hits in the That's US right. for Good a boy. long period of time. So here's a band that's still selling out arenas on. On a nightly basis, not playing their biggest songs. You imagine if Inner Sandman wasn't played by Metallica? It'd be <laughs> yeah, exactly. Riot. It's been a, such an Iron Maiden thing to do, right? It's like, exactly. Not even I love it. Bother I love it. Doing but this but for me, it was like that was the beginning of metal in in Hollywood, and there's this English band putting out this heavy song with a very singable, interesting song, a chorus. So know? let's talk about that. So what was it like in Hollywood in '82 or whatever when when Maiden kind of gets released and everybody's on the strip, everyone's hanging out, but now yeah, 
everyone dressed completely different and all of a sudden black leather jackets came in and when they that came in everyone was looking for the bands that would fit that criteria well the interesting thing though about the strip was before like i saw iron may i'm sorry Maiden. i saw iron Maiden. no i saw, <laughs> saw motley crew and rat you know uh for a dollar on a wednesday at the troubadour for the first time i went a to dollar see there yeah a dollar wow and they were both heavy like like Rat was like Judas Priest. They had Jakey Lee was in the band. They all were. They looked exactly like Judas Priest. They had black leather outfits in. Jakey Lee played the uh, played the. He was basically playing the KK Downing, and then the other guy was doing the Flying V. And scene was super heavy. And then Motley kind of took that. That when they did Too Fast to Love, they kind of took that little more commercial route. And then every, a lot of bands went that way. But there's a whole underground of metal stuff too, where you know bands like obviously Metallica and Slayer both came out of you know, right, 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 right. So. It was two varying factions, but I think even the the you know quote unquote hair metal bands were of course hugely influenced by Iron Maiden. I mean, but I, mean, I was in, me and all my friends were into comp all the uh, English bands, Priest, Maiden, Saxon, you know, UFO. So I don't know. I wasn't even listening to American bands at the time, mm -hmm. except for Kiss. Right, right, right. And uh, so that I mean that and when and I saw uh, Judas Priest at the Starwood. And they were still dressing. They were caught in between their image change. They were still dressing kind of uh, like Jimi Hendrix or something. Oh, really? Yeah. So kind of in the 70s. Priest. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you see early priests on the video. Yeah, 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 yep, yep. And then, but when the leather jackets came in, I mean, I remember it was before Lizzie Borden, but we were all like excited. And then when we got to see the video for Run to the Hills, I was like thrilled because they were like, you know, opening this door and I wanted to step through that door. It, it's interesting too. It reminds me of like when Rush, uh, known for their lengthy epic songs, but arguably their biggest is, is closer to the heart, which is a three minute radio song. Yep. And it's the same for Run of the Hills. I think it might be four minutes long or whatever it is. Made known for these epics, but that's the one that people you know, go to the most. Kenji Chorus. Yeah, yeah Kenji Chorus. Great yeah. breakdown in the middle. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, sing along part. That is a. a Another good scream too. And it, yes, and it's also one of those ones that, like, as a, as a singer in a band and and and, and as a um, visionary for a band, it's a song I wish I would have written because it's it's the ultimate live song. Like you play that song, they should like Detroit Rock City should open every Kiss show, yeah, and Run of the Hills should close every Maiden show. Yeah. Yep, you know what I mean. Jeff, do we even have to ask? No, you got it right. <laughs> <laughs> He's confirming. He's still awake, so we got that going. <laughs> go. This is when I have enough vodka today. <laughs> um, uh, gang. Okay, there's the controversy. Gangland uh, versus Power Slave. A lot of, I was reading about it today in my 30 seconds of research I did for this podcast, um, how there was a big debate over whether it would be Gangland or Total Eclipse. One was going to be the B-side for Run of the Hills, the other was going to make the record. And Steve himself says it should have been Total Eclipse. We f***ed up. Yeah, everybody agrees it should have been Total Eclipse. But they eventually did. It's on the record now, obviously. But, it, but yeah, at the time I, it came out. And yeah, it was weird, too, because I got the, obviously, I got the record when it first came out. And they got the single with, with Total Eclipse on the back. I'm like, oh, my God, this song is amazing. How did this song not end up on the record? Amazing uh, singing on that song, too. Yeah, I think the theory was back then the gangland was kind of faster. And maybe right. it was still kind of the faster punk rock sort of band. Yeah. Had that influence to it, you know. That's so that's point, why it ended man. up on the record. Whereas this Total Eclipse, better song, is more kind of mid-paced, and they kind of needed a faster song in that part on the record. It's interesting, dude, because you're right about that. Because um, if it was Total Eclipse, it starts slow. Yep. And they had just had on the record. What are we listening to? Okay, Run of the Hills is a fast one. 
But yeah, it, it, I wonder if the flow of the record would have been disrupted a bit. That's I think that's what the in talking to people about why they did that. That was what they thought about thought about back then was the flow would have been disrupted. But in all in, in all honesty, it probably should have been totally yeah. Those are great freaking songs. Probably the best B side ever. But that I can think it of. didn't make it on the record. So what do you think about Gangland? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Gangland's all right. I mean, it's a decent song, but uh, it's I mean, the one that might not make the, the A minus criteria. Probably. Of a I mean, album. look, still to me, that's the greatest metal album ever recorded, written, everything, even with that song on it. But yeah, it's not. That's not an A. And that's song. the thing I love about these classic album clashes. We're not saying that both albums are A one thousand. And both albums are great, but when you start breaking down some of my songs, some of them are like, wow, it's not like it's still a great record, but yeah. like we said, like Gangland against Power Slave, it doesn't even come close. But it is also the only song ever written by Adrian Smith and Clive Burr. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Interesting. Maybe that's why it's on the list. Yeah, right. Give Clive a little publishing <laughs> yeah, yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give him a little, little, little love in there. Um, Power Slave, I mean, top five main songs for me. Yep. On a given day, it might be my favorite. Ooh, really? Wow. Yeah, it's it's the epitome of what Maiden is to me from riff to solo to lyrics to catchy chorus. And once again, written only by Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, it's a brilliantly written song. So now, as a wrestler, how do you feel about Bruce wearing the wrestler's mask during that song? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a lucha mask. It's a Mexican wrestling what, mask. Oh, yeah. And once again, why? Well, you wrestle in Mexico. So. I did, but like, like, I love a crazy world of Arthur Brown Bruce. Why is oh, he wearing a Mexican wrestling mask I know, right? to sing a song about Egypt? Yeah. <laughs> and once, and also to the 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 name Power Slave. Like when I was a kid, I would go to the record store and look at the back of the record and decide which songs I liked just by their song titles. You know what I mean? Like I know, like Master of Disguise, for example, when Lizzie put that out. I liked that song uh, even before I heard it because I love the title Master of Disguise. I love the title, you know, like uh, uh, Menace to Society. Like, what a great, like, cool title. So Power Slave to me, not just as a, as a as an album title, but as a song title, it's it's powerful, man. It's really fucking it's a, heavy. It's an amazing title, and it's an interesting, but have we ever figured out what a Power Slave exactly is? Well, he's a slave to the power of death. Well, yeah. He's addicted to death, so yeah, he's a Power Slave. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's like if you're addicted to sex, you're a sex slave. Yeah, all right. I guess. And who knows what Bruce was into? He's kind of an <laughs> interesting cat. Jeff, oh, yeah. what do you think? Power Slave is definitely one of the songs that wasn't a strong one on me at that album when it came out, but it grew on me as I more matured into my music, as uh, obviously I liked the hits at the time and such, and I was young. And then now if I go back, that song is definitely one that I turn up if I, it's, you know, in my car or anything. It really, if I ever hear it live, it's just... Yeah. And, and once again, when they did that on the Book of Souls tour, I flipped out when I because Maiden does the same set for the whole two years. And when I saw that one, Power Power Slaves in the set, mm-hmm. what a great choice with the ultimate Iron Maiden ending. It never ends. The ending is a minute long. It goes uh, forever, yeah. ever. <clears throat> it just keeps continuing on and on and on and on. Awesome song. Um, great song. And once again, I'm sure it probably bothered Steve a little bit that you know the whole concept of the record was uh, based around Bruce's song. But I'm sure Steve was fully on and behind it because he calls pretty much all the shots. Well, yeah, clearly he, he calls all the shots. Yeah. Uh, okay, final, final. And it's this might be the hardest one for me. Hallowed Be Thy Name versus Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. This is, by the way, the easiest one for me. Wow. Uh, because Hallowed Be Thy Name is the greatest song ever written by any human in the entire history of mankind. Wow. So that's why it's easy for me. Now, that being said, uh, clearly... Rhyme of the Age of Mariner is one of the greatest songs ever written as well. So it's really, 
it, it is I get it why it would be tough because they're two of the most iconic Iron Maiden songs that probably you know I don't know where Ryan would rank in my top I mean I don't know if it'd be top five but it'd be top six or seven and when it came out that was the longest song I think anybody ever done and it's like it's an interesting I mean it's an amazing song especially live but but how would be that name hands down for me even though Rhyme and Ancient Marriage is a phenomenal song Jeff cut me early on this one <laughs> <laughs> You are familiar. You've heard both. We of the were songs. worried yes. to fall asleep. Yes. <laughs> yes, you weren't expecting me to be still here. Right. Conscious. Yeah, it's that's a tough one for me because back and forth. Um, you know, one's an epic long. Uh, well, they're both long. It's right. just that one's double yeah. the length of the other one. Yeah. Yep. I think I'll go with Hallow by. Yeah. How do that end? Yeah. There's my mumble. <laughs> I do believe it's gonna. In- you, you, actually, you, it you should have asked like this, just as joke. Well, you know, kind of like maybe like how be their name or something. Or, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go next. I'll let Lizzie go last. Uh, like you said, man, how be the name? If you're not gonna play Run to the Hills last and Maiden said you should play how be the name. It is possibly my favorite song on Number of the Beast. Correct. Going through. Yeah, it actually is my favorite song on Number of the Beast, and I used to play it when I was in my high school band Scimitar. Um, and it was a fun song to play in bass, although I'm sure I was playing it completely wrong, but we thought we were playing it right, and that's all that matters. But, dude, for me, one of the reasons why Iron Maiden is one of my top three favorite bands, and they all might as well be number one, which is Beatles, Maiden, and Metallica. There's no, They're all at 100%. Um, I love the fact that I could listen to a Maiden album and learn something. And once again, the song titles, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. What does that mean? What the f*** is this? On that bus ride going home, looking at these lyrics and they continue and continue and continue and there's this story about this albatross and the wedding guest and uh, water water everywhere and all the boards did shrink water water everywhere and not a drop to drink like oh my gosh i went home and got the encyclopedia remember the encyclopedias kids before yeah. there was google you had books that would tell you <laughs> shit. A gigantic book looking up rhyme the mason mariner so i could read the poem by samuel taylor coleridge and read the whole thing dude i'm getting goosebumps uh, just thinking about it the solo section in that, the the scream in it, the riffs, the 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 changes, to me that's Steve Harris's masterpiece uh, as a song uh, writing style. So, "How Be the Name" is a hundred percent, and "Rhyme the Shmare" is a hundred point two. Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna go with rhyme, but it, uh, oh, what I, I, if they play that on this tour? I'll flip out. They might. They've they been, been playing a lot. The someone time. Tour, yeah, 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 yeah. Someone time. Tour, they, right? You never yeah. know. They might. I'm going to play really, one really long one. I'll tell a quick story, too. That, that If you've ever seen, um, there's a Maiden documentary about the Power Slave years. And Nick was talking about they were doing some gig somewhere in Eastern Bloc countries. It's super hot. And he's wearing his, like, his spandex bodysuit. And, and there was a swimming pool behind the venue. And during the, the middle breakdown, like, Nick was like, he knows he's got like three minutes to do nothing as it goes boom loon, 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 loon. so he runs out from his kit and jumps in the swimming pool <laughs> and he's like and I'm underwater and I, all I hear is like and like Nick out get out get out and I said I know my gig I got 30 seconds to get back and he said he sat right back down and was like he's soaking wet yeah probably feel good what do you think Liz well, I mean, Hollow Be Lame, just mainly because of Bruce. I mean, it's, that's his that's his star song. You Good know? call. You wow. Know? And it, just that up up scream that he does at the beginning when it starts to build, you know, you got to take a big breath for that thing. Oh, yeah. It's just like, oh. <laughs> oh, running low. Yeah, running yeah. low. And it starts yeah. low. And yeah. as you, you know this as a singer, and people don't know this if they're not singers. 
it's hard to sing low yeah. and clean and running yeah. low and stay yeah. stay in in tune even that it, whole part I'm waiting yeah. like that's hard like it's stay in tune live yeah it's easy to belt out the screams if you have the range yeah it's like playing electric guitar uh, in accordance to playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk to a lot of singers like Jeff Tate, for example. If, you t- if you've ever talked to him, his voice is super low. Yes. Like when he's like, hey, I'm Jeff Tate. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. all his, what? It's like, how do you? But that's where he's comfortable singing. He's got that type of voice. And, he, <laughs> and it was really hard for him to sing low. Like the, the, the original singer from Fate's Warning, John Arch. Same thing. He could sing in this high range, but any sort of mid-low range was almost impossible for him to do. And he had a you know pretty normal speaking voice, so it's, it's interesting have, about that. I have to say, even like recording, like singing low on records, it's very hard because, like you said, you you hear it, it's your naked voice. And for Bruce to do that live and nail it every night, I think that's his tour de force. That's his, that's wow. his that's his one where he shines. That's his vocal master. I think so. I mean, you know, out of all the songs, he's he's you know. The the music is is as exciting as his voice, but in that song he's the star. I think. See, I, I argue that every bit of that song is the star because like every piece of that is so iconic. I mean, the the, the bridge towards the end and the lead, the two leads are two of the best leads I've ever seen in my entire life. Which drives me nuts that friggin' Yannick Gears plays Adrian Smith's lead every night. I mean, Adrian's standing right there. Oh, it drives me nuts that he. <laughs> Why played, is he doing it? And it drives one, me nuts that he plays the opener for Two Minutes to Midnight, and it's wrong. I know. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it's funny that I, I saw them in Chicago on that on the uh, was it the somewhere in time tour. Somewhere where, back in time. Somewhere back in time yeah. tour. But anyway, so we're playing that song, and and uh, Yannick had a problem with his guitar. <laughs> so I was with a whole bunch of friends of mine. So they're all they all know. Like I turn around and close my ears when he does that solo because I can't stand it. It's not. Good. So they were all looking. We're all looking, and 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 like Adrian's looking over, going like, uh, okay, is he going to get his guitar back in time? And there's some, on this one. So so it came where he didn't get the guitar back. So Adrian had to play the, the solo. So I was freaking out. All my friends were laughing. <laughs> He totally bungled it because he probably hadn't played it in a well, million years. Thing, play, but... Yeah, someone's got to do it. And you know Adrian. He's such a quiet, oh, yeah. humble, great guy. And he told me, because I said, why do you let this happen? Exactly. Why are you letting the guy that replaced you still play? He because he goes, he was playing the parts when I left for the 10 years. I could come back in. He said he wanted to do it, and that's fine with me. I'll, I'll, he doesn't care but meanwhile when he plays like he's the best musician on stage oh god yes when that book souls through I said to him after you were the best musician on that well if you look at the history of Iron Maiden every record that Adrian plays on pretty much is a good record yeah. and the records he's not playing yeah. on are not very good records he's the he's the glue there's certain chemistry there. to a hockey team exactly there was a guy called, sports team. there was a guy called Claude Lemieux yep. played for years one I think he won like eight Stanley Cups. He didn't win eight. I think he won maybe six. Okay, six. Uh, a lot. Sorry, Mr. Science. Sorry. Mr. Hockey. Point being, he was a third line guy. Yep. He was. He didn't do a lot. Didn't score a lot of goals. But when he was on your team, you won fucking championships. Yep. Adrian Smith's the same. The moment Adrian left that band, not even Bruce, the moment Adrian left, the, the quality went down. Oh, big time. And I had dinner with him, actually, strangely enough, right after he left because a friend of mine was doing radio stuff for his thing. He said, hey, you called me up. You want to have for, dinner uh, with Psycho Adrian Motel? Smith? Yeah, for whatever the first yeah. thing he did. He said, you want to have a dinner with Adrian Smith? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm there in two seconds. So, and a super nice guy. First time I really talked to him and super nice guy. And, and eventually after a few adult beverages and a nice long dinner, I said, so, you know, why, why leave? And he said, I just felt that we had done all we could do at that point. Yeah. And, and the, the newer stuff that they're working on, I just didn't, didn't feel was the quality that, I wanted to be, and he left. And and sure enough, that next record was. But it was awful. also classic Maiden because it wasn't that cut and dry. If you talk to him now, it was almost like, yeah, well, I should leave. 
Well, yeah, well, maybe you should leave. Okay, well, maybe I should leave. Okay, you're gone. Yeah. yeah, What? 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 Yeah. He said that because he said he went to Donington in 92 and watched them play and was like crying. Like, what the f*** did I do? Yeah, well, I think think they all did that. I mean, Bruce left as well and... You know, eventually, I mean, look, it all made that. That's that's Iron Maiden. Is is that those that's the core classic, guys? Yeah. That's that's Iron Maiden. That is Iron Maiden. Yeah. All these other, whatever they did after that, yeah. before that, wasn't really Iron Maiden. It was some offshoot of it. It's amazing now, though. Like, here we are in 2018, and Maiden is the biggest they've ever been. I know, right? You know, and they, they once. I mean, the, the genius, of course, when Bruce came back was, of course, bringing Adrian back as well and talking to Bruce. He said that Steve always wanted a three guitar lineup because he loved Wishbone Ash and all that sort of stuff. And you know they, they they are maybe even double what they were in 1984 when Power Slave came out or 1988 or whatever you're talking about. But yeah, man. So I mean, if you have to pick, this is the final Number of the Beast versus Power Slave. I think I know what you're going to say. Well, yeah, I'm going to say Number of the Beast for sure. So that's my all-time favorite record. But Power Slave is is easily in my top ten records of all time. As would it well. be? Your, would it, be it would be my second favorite. Second favorite. Second favorite. Record. Record. And a lot record. of people don't say that. Like you get to the Eddie Trunk crowd, like the Portnoy's and those guys, they'll go peace of mind. I, I actually my maiden records go number of the beast one power slave two killers three and then peace of mind four with really seven son or seven son really close to to that as well I mean it's it's my it's my there. second favorite. and somewhere in time is great too um, power slave for me with uh, seven son is my second favorite yeah I love seven son yeah. people people kind of don't give that record enough credit but I love that record they just played that song on, on the on the way here. Oh, the yeah? song yeah. Oh, nice. with Bruce doing the narration. Uh, yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, but once again, like uh, you know, I, I think Power Slave to me because I bought it with this. I, I I think I bought it the same day that that I bought a ticket for the concert, which was only maybe my second concert or third at most. Yeah, it was my and, third. And just, yeah, and the whole buildup of like, I can't believe I'm going to get to listen to this album. I get to see this band, and then Seven Sun came out just as we were about to graduate from high school. I think it came out like in March, the last three months of my high school life, which all of us, I'm sure you think of it as in a good, unless you had a really shitty high school, but it's one of the highlights of your life is that high school experience. And Seven Sun was the soundtrack for it. So that was my number one too. And I will say this before I go over to to Liz, I bought Number of the Beast on album finally a couple, probably a year after Power Slave. I went back, bought all the rest. And I bought it from a comic book shop, a used comic book shop. And um, I also bought... A Playboy magazine, or maybe it was a penthouse, and I slid the Playboy magazine into the album <laughs> to sneak it into my house because my mom always asked me what I bought. So I couldn't just have a Playboy magazine, so I slid, slid it into the album. So she goes, what did you buy? I bought all this Iron Maiden album. number." She goes, oh, let me see it. I'm like, oh, why? Just let me see it. So she took the album. It's like one of those movies where like the dead body's right <laughs> underneath. It's like, just don't look. And she was looking at it. She turns it over. I'm like, if she like holds it it's gonna fall right out it's a big playboy magazine and she never found it but she did give me shit when number the beast came on you can't listen to that it's satanic i said yes and i'm gonna go play dungeons and dragons tonight too (laughs) (laughs) jeff your favorite out of the two power slave yeah there you go the shirt and everything same what what reason why well like again that was uh the my experience my opening to you know really listening to him and that was my third concert like the year i was able my parents would let me ride the bus and go to a concert by myself you know after judas priest and that what was your first one the judas priest uh great white oh defenders, defenders of, of the faith, faith. so yeah. that was before okay I was yeah, that, that was in like june oh, okay and uh, you know i had to cut grass but 13 dollar ticket all i could get was i couldn't even afford a shirt so i bought a head you know the silk headband <laughs> yeah that's all oh, i had boy. was there lizzie borden headbands 
We had him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every Andy's band did, and then then we talked off air about the other concert that uh, was it that White Snake and Crocus or no no it was the Crocus Crocus Quiet Wasp Riot. and Helix yeah. or or yeah. Kick Axe White Snake Quiet Riot yeah. yeah so that was in the in like November and then Iron Maiden was like the beginning of December with Twisted Sister and they were both great albums and Twisted Sister was you know is, is this like a momentous occasion in Jericho podcasting where Jeff's not only awake at the end but is actually coherent too <laughs> well, we, didn't have, we only had a small little half full thing of little vodka I think so. we've done this podcast way too early in the day or something is going on here well, you know he's a much better guest before uh, 6 o'clock you know what's interesting about you two guys picking Power Slave over, over Number of the Beast it really does depend on when you come in on Absolutely. the band what your favorite stuff is like I have friends who you know kiss fans and i mean i came in obviously in the, in the early days and you know all my favorites is the earlier stuff but i have a lot of friends who came in later like in the post makeup days so you being one of, one them, of them where um you know a lot of their favorite stuff is is that time period which is good stuff but you'd never like wow really over the iconic stuff but it really is when you come in and you can say the same thing with so many other bands like when you come in is where you kind of get involved and you go backwards yeah and that's why I, I don't have any problem like standing up for you know for non-makeup kiss because that's that's what i came in on sure. and i love makeup kiss and it's Fuck not bad up. stuff either it, but yeah and that's why paul stanley was always my guy because paul was the was the boss in those time frames but my first kiss experience besides guys that listened to it you know that i knew was heavens on fire the video where he jumps through the hoop at the beginning or the end or whatever it was his hands are on fire at the beginning he jumps through i'm like that guy is the coolest guy on the planet which i'm sure you might have said lizzie when you saw the star child in 1978 i didn't might i did there you yeah. go so cool is cool no matter what era it is and that's why like we said power slave for me number for you killers for somebody else paul said it best it doesn't matter what floor you get on in the elevator you still get to the well, top. Get on there, yeah. That's right. And so if you get good. off on a floor before the top, thanks for joining us for whatever it was. You know. And Lizzie has to break break the. Uh, is it going to be a tie for which is the best al- album I'm, here? I'm afraid it is. Yes, <laughs> that's what I want to hear. Just because that's the right um, answer. All my favorite bands are '70s bands, and they had the rock influence. And even Priest was making it toward the metal. You know, they turned the gain up on their Marshalls right, a right. little bit more for each album, but. Maiden came full bore. They were a metal band. There wasn't any rock. They were they were not ashamed to say it, we're a heavy metal band. Yeah, the British metal onslaught. And at that moment in time, that's what built the, you know the, the the whole Hollywood scene. Everyone wearing leather leather jackets and jeans and white tennis shoes. And following that metal thing, and then you know that that opened the door for everybody. And, and you can't have a discussion about Iron Maiden without going back to the new wave of British heavy metal, which was the scene that started all you know Def Leppard and Iron Maiden and Saxon and you know on and on, which was a huge iconic moment just for me. I mean, that's really what changed my. You know, I was into metal like I was into all those '70s you know bands, Priest and you know UFO and all that stuff, and I love Kiss, but I also liked Elton John. I also liked. I was a big fan of punk rock stuff. I was really big into like the new wave thing, like Ongo Boingo and the Go-Go's and all these bands playing around L.A. And it wasn't really until the new wave British heavy metal came in that it was like, all right, forget all this other stuff. <laughs> it's only metal now now for me. And that you know that was a massive scene because when it came out in the late 70s, that was the whole disco time when you know, Kiss and even Priest were doing disco records or you know the Stones, all those disco influences. Everybody thought, ah, that's it. You know, hard rock's over. It's all over. It's being replaced by disco. And then you have new wave coming in and the punk rock scene. And then just out of nowhere, in England in 1979, this just underground, a completely underground scene of do-it-yourself. Just there were no labels; it was all just kids doing it, bands doing it, and that really had a massive influence on me and, and also Metallica and Slayer and everybody else. So that scene 
was so iconic and it's amazing that that had so many massive bands coming from it and maiden came out of that scene obviously became this you know massive band but they were part of that whole big just, scene with all of those bands. it's interesting hearing you say that as, as we wind down here um you're wearing a saxon shirt which is one of the cornerstones of the new wave of british it never made it to the heights of of leopard or maiden but i would say number three of all time biggest new wave of British heavy metal bands. I mean, we could debate that. I'm not sure who you might say is number yeah, three. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But you're wearing the shirt. And it's not the same one that changed heavy metal history. Had you not worn that shirt to the concert you went to, and Lars sees it and asks you, "No, that was the other way around." Okay. Lars had wore Lars the shirt. Not worn the Saxon and, shirt, and, and it wasn't even me that saw. It, it was my friend John Cornerans. We were the only two in, in L.A. that knew anything about it. He saw Lars in the parking lot of the Michael Schenker Group show in 1980 with that Saxon European T-shirt on, and said. Where'd you get? You even know who Saxon is? He's like, of course I do. But, but like I'm saying, like, you know, every, everything happens in the way it's supposed to. Had you not met him that night because he was wearing a Saxon shirt, your friend John saw it. Yep. You never know. I know, right? You might not be who you are. He might not have ever had a place to put out his first song, which became something, something. I mean, Metallica was going to happen either way, but. Might not have happened the same way well, had you who, not seen the Saxon shirt. Well, who, in the parking re who really knows? You know, Lars makes, you know, he, he very kindly wrote the forward to my book and he, he made this statement in the book because at the time that that, that, that First Amendment massacre happened, you know, those guys weren't even talking. Like they had rehearsed a couple times, but nothing happened. So there's nothing going on between them. And it was really the fact that they had a, a chance to be on a record is why they he called up James. We have been on a record and they started it, started going back again. So Lars made the point like, I mean, look, I my role is tiny, and I, no, I still, agree with you. Something probably would have happened at some point, but it's really crazy how things just happen in based this around a T-shirt. Exactly right, or a you scene, I mean? or, or or music. It's yeah, just, it's amazing. Uh, last question, because you said your first concert was the Priest one. Yep. Uh, first concert, Brian. First concert, Kiss, nineteen seventy six. Which would be Destroyer. Would be, it was on the Alive tour before Destroyer. Oh, they did wow. a tour on Alive before Destroyer came out. Oh, okay, gotcha, yep. Liz. Same exact thing. I was probably on the other side in <laughs> Loge. I know, so did we I know exactly where I sat. It was at this forum? It was the forum, and I just, I went, oh my God, what is this? This just, it, <laughs> what is this? It was over the top, yeah. From then on, I, I was like, that's it. I was, I, my vision was narrowed to exactly what I wanted to do. The first, the concert, first concert I ever went to was The Police, Synchronicity oh, Tour. Nice. And the first live band I ever saw was the Thompson Twins. Nah. Oh wow. Okay. I always <laughs> they, op they opened for the police, and I was like, "Those guys are stupid." <laughs> I, I remember them just bouncing, lies, lies, lies. Yeah. I'm like, get the f out of here. See, first concert's always pretty easy because it's generally, for the most part, an epic thing. I'm always curious about people's second concerts. Mine was Boston at the Santa Monica Civic with, with Yesterday and Today, who became YNT opening. Wow, were they building and, Yesterday and Today? Yeah, wow. and, and they were, they had, their first record hadn't even come out yet, and they blew Boston off the stage. I was like, wow, who is this man? Interesting. I got to go buy it. Do you remember you guys' second concert? You know, I'm, I could be fuzzy about the timeline, but I, and it might be wrong, but I think it was UFO in Rush at the Santa Monica Civic. No, that was, oh, you might be right, because I wanted to go to that show and I couldn't. So I think that might have been before the Kiss one. No, because I what Kiss was, was the first show I ever saw. Oh, um, it, oh well, yeah, it was. I, I hate you for going to that show. <laughs> By the way, I remember looking at that show. Going, I want to go to that show. And my mom wouldn't let That's me. When Damn it! Russ was wearing Kiss uh, uh, capes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Was there the kimonos? <laughs> what, what yours was? The that was that Quiet Riot triple bill. Oh, remember, Quiet Riot got booed off, booed off the stage. Yep. It's and funny, Dean Mullen, uh, this guy that we know in Winnipeg, went back and, and looked up all the concert reviews from the from the paper. He found some website, and 
Winnipeg journalists hated Quiet Riot because they buried them for years after that show. Yeah. Not like the horrible Quiet Riot show in 1984. It's like, dude, it's 1988. Give them a break. They're done. They're yeah. finished. My second concert was the Scorpions. Um, I love it for Sting Tour. Opening band and hated them. I just couldn't wait for him to get off stage. He had all these scarves on his microphone. He was this sickeningly good-looking guy. And I went, this band sucks. They got a stupid name. They'll never f- make it. Yeah, I know you, you know what they were that. called? Bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> I saw that. Too. I saw them on the uh, Bon Jovi opened. That's when they blew up on the. They opened on the priest on the yeah. out in the cold tour, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. had yeah. the runaway. Yeah, that was their big song. I kind of like that one, but I can't. actually like Bon Jovi when I first saw them. I think it was. I think it was a Scorpion show. I, I wasn't really familiar with them, but I thought I, I, I hated that them. Bad. I hated the name. I could see why Bon though. Jovi. Like, yeah, I could what see a why. Name, but then I'm in a band called Fozzy. So what does <laughs> guys, what a great time! Thank you so much, and up the irons. Yes. Yes. All right. Thanks again to Lizzie Borden. Pick up his new record, My Midnight Things. I love it. Classic Lizzie Borden. You get that wherever you buy music. Thanks to Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records. Uh, go buy anything on Metal Blade. There's a million great bands that he's discovered and signed. And also Red Solo Cup Jeff. If you're ever in Vegas, you'll see him walking around with no shirt and a Red Solo Cup. Uh, I'm glad he stayed awake. And uh, he contributed the most words he ever has on an episode of Talk is Jericho. Now we just got to work on his mic technique You can actually, so he can actually hear what he has to say. Uh, we'll get it right one of these days, Jeff. All right, did you book your cabin for the upcoming Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2? Setting sail January 20th, 2020. We're already uh, 75% sold out in uh, just over a month. It's crazy. So book a cabin while you still can at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We just added more amazing talent to the already stacked lineup. Booker T is going to be there. Queen Charmel, Shaw Guerrero, uh, Jared James Nichols, one of the greatest guitar players in the world today. Dave Spivak Project returns. We love the DSP. He did great last year. We've got the NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and X-Pac. Uh, X-Pac, sorry. Uh, the host is comedian Brad Williams. Uh, Vicky Guerrero is our special cruise director. Fozzie's playing. Farewell to Fear is playing. Uh, Rubik's Cube, the greatest 80s cover band you've ever heard. AEW will also be the, the hottest new wrestling promotion in the world today. DDP will host more DDP yoga workshops on the ship. Jake the Snake will be there. Uh, Beyond the Darkness hosting more creepy paranormal events. The talent list just gets longer and longer and longer. So come enjoy the best vacation of your life. Still got some big names to announce coming up. Book now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Uh, don't forget, uh, Fozzie opening for Iron Maiden September 14th at the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. Four shows coming up uh, May uh, 14th, 15th. No, is it 15th? What we got coming up? Let's go look at the schedule as we see what we have. Uh, yeah, May 15th in Greenville, South Carolina. May 16th in Greensboro, North Carolina. May 17th, Virginia Beach, Virginia. May 18th, Camden, New Jersey at the MMR Barbecue. That's close to Philly. We're having a great time out there. We want you to come join us. Come rock with us, and we'll see you uh, Wednesday. My old travel partner from WCW. Ring announcer Dave Penzer will be here. Some great stories about being on the road back in the 90s with him. Until then, have a great weekend. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah.